الله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead Him astray and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide Him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant <coughs> and his messenger we'd like to begin this our second session uh, in our discussion or explanation of the essay Lum'at al-Itiqad الهادي إلى سبيل الرشاد بالإمام أبو محمد عبد الله بن أحمد بن محمد بن قدامة المقدسي رحمه الله In this explanation which we began to discuss last week uh, the introduction brief outline of the life of الإمام ابن قدامة رحمه الله his name and lineage, his birth and death, and his activities of learning and traveling in search of knowledge. We mentioned some of his teachers and some of his famous students, and we also talked about many of the books that he wrote, especially the books of fiqh, which he is more well known for, uh, the books of fiqh that are based upon the mazhab of Al-Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal rahimahullah um, We also began after the discussion or the talk about the life of Al-Imam ibn Qudama and his works we discussed briefly an introduction to the one who explained the book Sheikh Muhammad ibn Sali al-Uthaymin hafizahullah may Allah protect and preserve him about his something concerning his life in brief also and some of his writings particularly his writings in the matter of Al-Aqidah this book Mum'at Al-Itiqad which has been translated recently Alhamdulillah into English and I think the English title of it is Radiance of the Faith this book Mum'at Al-Itiqad is a classical essay in Aqidah, in the Aqidah or the Islamic Creed, as it was traditionally written about by the scholars of Ahl Sunnah al Jama'ah, mentioning some of the details and of the Islamic Aqidah, as well as some of the main points that were problems in the time of that particular scholar. And of course the manhaj of the scholars of Ahl Sunnah Jama'ah is distinguished from the manhaj of those people who deviated from the way of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in that the scholars of Ahl Sunnah Jama'ah focused upon presenting the points of belief based on evidence from the Qur'an and from the authentic Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the sayings of the early generations of the Muslims including the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'in and those who came after them, the students, the tabi'un and the atba'a tabi'in and so on so we will see in this essay of Al-Imam ibn Qudama that he has attempted to present evidence for what he says mentioning point by point the important aspects of Islamic aqidah some of them in general, some of them in detail with the accompanying evidences 
the ayahs from Quran or hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the sayings of the scholars before him. Uh, we also began after the introduction to the author and the explainer of the book, we talked briefly about some of the principles related to a tawheed or specifically the tawheed of asma wa sifat the tawheed of the names of Allah and the characteristics of Allah and as we know and we have discussed it on many occasions in previous essays which we have covered concerning al-aqidah we know that the scholars have divided the discussion of tawheed into divisions or subsections and one of those divisions is dividing the dividing of Tawheed into three divisions the first of them the Tawheed which deals with Ar-Rububiyyah or the Lordship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He is unique and alone in being the Lord, the Creator, the Provider the one who controls the affairs of the universe who gives life and death and also the Tawheed of Uluhiyah which is the Tawheed which the Prophets and Messengers were primarily sent with it is the Tawheed related to the divinity of Allah and that He alone has the right to be worshipped and it was on this aspect of Tawheed that the uh, disbelievers fought against the Prophets and Messengers who were sent to them because even the Mushrik pagans of Mecca acknowledged the Tawheed of Rububiyyah that Allah alone is the only creator but they differed with the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam concerning the exclusive right of Allah to be worshipped alone since they worshipped many other idols and false gods along with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the third aspect of Tawheed which is the least known of the aspects of Tawheed and it is the aspect of Tawheed which the majority of the Muslims in the world today have little knowledge of, if any at all. It is Tawheed Asma'illahi wa Sifatihi concerning the divine and perfect names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his perfect characteristics or qualities. And Al-Imam ibn Qudama rahimahullah begins his book discussing the Tawheed of Asma'a wa Sifat in some detail. Uh, particularly many of the ayahs of Qur'an that deal with the Tawheed of Asma wa Sifat and many hadith of the Prophet wasallam which relate to the topic of Tawheed of the names of Allah and the Sifat or characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before beginning the book we started to discuss some basic principles so that this discussion concerning Asma wa Sifat would be clear to us and uh, we took from the introduction of Sheikh Muhammad ibn Saleh al-Uthaymeen some few of the basic principles related to this topic last week last week we mentioned that the first rule concerns the text of the Quran and Sunnah yani what is the position that a believer should have concerning the text, the nusus the ayat of Quran and the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam what is our position and the scholars of Ahl Sunnah al Jama'ah said that it is obligatory on us when we come across any text from the Quran and Sunnah to accept that text from the Quran or from the Sunnah with its apparent meaning its obvious meaning the meaning that first comes to your mind uh, when you read those words and Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih he said that basically the reason for this is because the Quran is revealed in clear Arabic language and the Prophet also spoke in clear Arabic language and therefore there is no need for us to interpret uh, or to re-explain any of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said concerning himself his description by names or by characteristics are very clear in the Quran and we accept them as they appear to be without any need to reinterpret them or to negate them or to empty them of their meaning uh, we said also the second rule that the Shaykh mentioned is concerning the names of Allah Asma'u Allah the names of Allah 
he mentions here concerning the names of Allah four principles that are related to the names of Allah and how we understand them. From amongst them, he said the first uh, principle under the names of Allah, as you have in the handout uh, in brief, that all of the names of Allah are, are al-husna. All of the names of Allah are good names or beautiful names or names that contain a meaning that has the highest degree of perfection or goodness without having any defect whatsoever in that meaning which the name represents. And you mention here the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-A'raf, chapter 7, verse 180, وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءَ الْحُسْنَى That Al-Asma Al-Husna, the good names or the perfect names, that they belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. The second matter that he mentions here is that the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are not limited. They are not limited to a specific number and particularly to the number 99 which many people misunderstood due to the authentic hadith that is reported by Imam Muslim and others concerning the statement of the Prophet sallallahu in which he said Allah has 99 names whoever memorizes them they would enter paradise. The Shaykh discussed this matter and explained that this hadith, the meaning of it, is that this is in reference to 99 of the names of Allah and not that Allah's names are limited to 99 and this is proven by the hadith in which the Prophet wasallam made dua supplicating Allah saying أَسْأَلُكَ اللَّهُمَا بِكُلِّ إِسْمْ هُوَ لَكَ سَمَّيْتَ بِهِ نَفْسَكَ أو أنزلته في كتابك and so on in the end of that hadith the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said وما استأثرت به في علم الغيب عندك that is that which you have kept for yourself in the knowledge of the unseen that is with you alone that means that Allah has many names from amongst those names are those which he revealed in his book those which he taught to some of his creatures and those which he kept with himself in the knowledge of the unseen. And this is the proof that Allah has many names, more than the 99, which are contained in the Quran or in the authentic hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this is one of the principles of, uh, related to the names of Allah, that they are not limited to a particular number. Only Allah knows how many names he has. But we know that he has at least 99 based on this hadith and based on the hadith of the dua of the Prophet ﷺ, we know that the number is unlimited and known only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The third principle which we mentioned related to Asma, the names of Allah, is that the names of Allah are tawqifiyah. That means that it is not our right to name Allah with something from ourselves based on our intellect nor to negate or deny any of the names that have been confirmed in the Qur'an or in authentic sunnah. But names of Allah being tawqifiyah means that we stop and not add to or delete from the names of Allah. We stop upon what has been mentioned in the revelation, in the Qur'an or in the sunnah. And the last rule that we mentioned concerning the asma is that the names of Allah, all of the names of Allah, either point to his, that, his divine person or self. They point to him, you call on him by those, those names. As well, every one of the names of Allah contains a characteristic that is derived from that name and that characteristic is applicable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's one of his characteristics or qualities. And the names of Allah are both proper names that we call on him by and they also indicate descriptions or characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in addition to some of the names which are what is called in Arabic muta'addi it means that the effect of the sifa or the characteristic that is contained in the name goes beyond the one who is doing that action and affects others and in this case it means that some of the names of Allah contain characteristics which are not limited to himself as a description of him but also that characteristic affects the creation. And some of the examples that I mentioned here is Ar-Rahman in that from the name Ar-Rahman, the merciful, is the sifa Rahmah. And that Rahmah or mercy is not limited to Allah, but it affects his creatures. 
the mercy of Allah reaches us and affects us. As well, the name Ar-Razaq, for example, the provider, is not limited to Allah, but His providing affects the creatures in that we receive the provisions from Him, and so on. Uh, some of the names are Muta'addi, those which affect other than Allah, which affect His creatures, and some of them are Ghayra Muta'addi, that means they are limited to Him. Such as, for example, one of the descriptions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that He has a face. That Allah has a face. And that face, it is a description of the that or the person of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it doesn't affect the creatures. It's not a characteristic that affects the creatures but it's limited to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then I think we've stopped here now on on this second rule. The third rule that the Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih mentions is the rule related to the sifat of Allah. We talked about our position in reference to the text, the divine text of Qur'an and Sunnah that we accept it just as it is and as are based on its apparent meaning. And we talked about the names of Allah and what are some of the rules related to them, how we understand them. And the third principle is related to the sifat of Allah or the characteristics or qualities of Allah. And there are also four points here that he mentions, although the principles related to Asma and Sifat are more than what we are mentioning here, these are just some of them. Of the matters related to the Sifat or the characteristics or qualities of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the first of them is that the Sifat of Allah, all of them are Uliya. Sifat Allahi Kulluha Uliya. That means that all of the characteristics of Allah are sublime, lofty, exalted characteristics as the Shaykh says here that they are characteristics of perfection and praise. They are characteristics of perfection and for which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is praised and there is no defect or shortcoming in those sifat of Allah in any way whatsoever. They are perfectly and praiseworthy without any defect or shortcoming in them. Some of the examples of the sifat of Allah are al-hayat that Allah is perfect life. One of the characteristics of Allah is that He is living, that Allah is living. Of the characteristics of Allah is Al-Ilm, that Allah has knowledge. Al-Qudra, that Allah has power. Al-Samu wal-Basar, that Allah has hearing and sight. Al-Hikmah wal-Rahmah wal-Ulu, that Allah is described by wisdom, mercy and highness. Al-Ulu, that Allah is high above the creation. The sifat of Allah, the characteristics of Allah are many and they are derived directly from the Qur'an or from the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Here the Shaykh mentions as a proof for the sifat of Allah that Allah's sifat are all lofty and exalted. The saying of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala in Surah Al-Nahl chapter 16 verse 60 وَلِلَّهِ وَلِلَّهِ الْمَثَلُ الْعَالَى المثل the scholars of tafsir said it means here as-sifa that Allah has the most high or most perfect characteristics and since Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is perfect then it is a necessity that his characteristics also will be perfect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is perfect so his characteristics are perfect if there was any characteristic any sifa that is defective, it has no degree of perfection in it, then it is not possible that Allah can be described by such a characteristic of imperfection. Allah cannot be described by any characteristic of imperfection such as al-mawt or al-jahl or al-nawm. Allah cannot be described with death or sleeping or forgetfulness or ignorance, incapability, meaning death dumb, blind. These are characteristics of imperfection that the creatures might be described by. Some people may be described by the characteristics of being blind, being deaf, being ignorant, being incapable of doing something. But these are characteristics of imperfection. Allah can never be described by such characteristics. Uh, Just as no one of the creatures 
likes to be described by such characteristics, knowing that these are characteristics of imperfection, then for sure we know that it is not right and it is not fitting or suitable that Allah, the Lord of the worlds, the divine being who created the heavens and the earth can be described by characteristics of imperfection. This, yani, the description of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with a characteristic of imperfection is a contradiction to Allah's rububiyyah, that he is the Lord of the worlds. How can the Lord of the worlds, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one with perfect knowledge and wisdom and power, how can he be described with imperfection in any way? Likewise, if there is any characteristic that might be considered to be a characteristic of perfection from one perspective and from another perspective it might contain a characteristic or an aspect of imperfection something that could possibly be looked at as being perfect, perfect and at the same time could be looked at from another perspective as being imperfect then we do not confirm such a characteristic for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala nor do we negate it or deny such a characteristic for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but we say that such a characteristic has to be looked at from both sides we don't, we don't affirm it absolutely nor do we negate it absolutely but we consider the possibilities in the situation where that characteristic would be considered as perfect in that sense we may apply it to Allah but in the sense that it might be looked at as imperfect then we do not affirm or apply it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and examples of this is al-maqra, al-qib, al-khida'a and such characteristics of plotting and scheming and deception these characteristics could in some cases be considered as characteristics of perfection when someone is described by them in response in their response to someone who is doing such a thing not in the absolute sense but Allah these descriptions could be applied to Allah in the sense when the disbelievers plot then Allah plans against them and if they try to deceive Allah then in fact Allah deceives them in response to the action of the opposite or the opponent then Allah may respond in like in that sense only will Allah be described with such a characteristic which has the possibility of being a characteristic of imperfection when it's applied to the human being and a characteristic of perfection when it's applied to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala examples of this or proofs of this in the Quran is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Anfal chapter 8 verse 30 where he says وَيَمْكُرُونَ وَيَمْكُرُ اللَّهُ وَاللَّهُ خَيْرُ الْمَاكِرِينَ That they plot and plan. And Allah also plans. And Allah is the best of planners. This nakra, being a description of Allah, is only used in the Quran in response to the disbelievers when they are plotting and planning against Islam and against the believers. Then Allah plans against them. And Allah is the best of planners. So in this sense, in response, to the plotting and planning of the disbelievers then Allah describes himself with this description but only in that case is it applicable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not in the absolute sense also the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Tariq chapter 86 verse 15 and 16 that they are plotting and planning or scheming a scheme and I also scheme yani, in response to them in response to their scheme Allah makes a scheme that overcomes their scheme negates it and invalidates it and makes it ineffective and so also the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah An-Nisa chapter 4 verse 142 hypocrites that they try to deceive Allah while Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in response to their attempt to deceive him he deceives them and causes them to fail in their efforts and so in the Quran in response to the uh, actions of the disbelievers sometimes Allah is described with a description 
which is a description of imperfection in reference to human being, but in reference to Allah, it shows His ability and capability to respond to them with whatever they come with and to defeat uh, their plotting, their planning, their deception or otherwise. So if it is said, is Allah described with a description, for example, of plotting? Is, can Allah be described with the characteristic of al-makr, plotting? Then we don't say yes, nor do we say no. But we say that Allah may be described with such a description in reference to those who deserve for Allah to treat them in such a way. Yani that Allah plans against them, or Allah deceives them due to the fact that they deserved such a response from Allah because of their own action and Allah knows best. So in reference to the sifat of Allah, we say that there are characteristics which are purely perfect, they are applicable to Allah and Allah has more right to be described with them than any of the creatures. There are characteristics which are purely imperfect and Allah can never be described with them and there are characteristics which have the possibility of being looked at from one perspective as being imperfect and from another perspective as being perfect and accordingly it may be applicable to Allah from the perspective of perfection and not from the perspective of imperfection. The second matter related to the sifat of Allah, the Shaykh says that the sifat of Allah are divided into two divisions. The, the sifat of Allah of two types, two primary types, thubutiyah and salbiyah. Thubutiyah means those sifat which we confirm or affirm for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and salbiyah are those characteristics which are negated, which we don't affirm for, or not that we don't affirm, but that are characteristics of negation. Yani, the meaning here, characteristic of negation, is that uh, it is a characteristic that Allah has negated from Himself, that He has denied, that He has described with such a characteristic. There are characteristics which Allah affirms for Himself in the Quran, and there are other characteristics which Allah negates for Himself. These are the two types of characteristics that Allah may be described with. He may be described as having such a characteristic, the thubutiyah, that are affirmed for him, or he may be described by negating a characteristic from him. This is called salbiyah. The characteristics of thubutiyah are those characteristics which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has affirmed for himself, for which the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has affirmed for him. Uh, and these characteristics are many, and amongst them is the characteristic of al-hayat, that Allah has affirmed for himself life. Huwa al-hayyu al-qayyum. Allah has described himself with the characteristic of hayat or life, or the characteristic of ilm, knowledge, the characteristic of al-qudra, power or ability. So therefore, since Allah has described himself with this, he has affirmed for himself, then we affirm for him such characteristics in a way that is fitting in a way that is suitable to the majesty and glory of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And since Allah is the best knower of himself, whatever he has affirmed for himself, how, do, how can anyone have the right to deny what Allah, who is the best knower of his own self, has affirmed for himself, or which the Prophet وسلم, who is the best knower of the creatures, who is the most knowing of humanity, of the Lord of the worlds, he is the one who has affirmed for him some characteristics, and we accept what he has affirmed, from the revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As for the characteristics of Salbiya, they are those characteristics which Allah has negated from Himself, or which the Prophet has negated as being a characteristic of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and from amongst them is al-zulm, or oppression, or injustice. If Allah has negated any characteristic from Himself, then it is obligatory on us to negate such a characteristic. But, it's not sufficient just to negate such characteristics as injustice, or sleeping, or death, or ignorance. It's not sufficient to negate those characteristics alone, but at the same time, it is incumbent that we affirm for Allah the opposite of those negative characteristics in a way or in a manner of perfection. And if Allah, if we say that Allah does not do injustice, at the same time that we negate injustice from Allah, we affirm justice for Allah, that Allah is perfectly just. That Allah is perfectly just. In negating injustice from Him, we must also affirm the opposite of it, to the perfect, in the perfect sense, that, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is perfectly 
just. An example of this is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Kahf, chapter 18, verse 49, وَلَا يَظْلِمُ رَبُّكَ أَحَدًا That your Lord, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, does not do injustice to anyone. Yani Allah is not unjust to anyone. Not to believers or disbelievers. Not to the rich or the poor. Allah is just with every one of his creatures. There is no injustice from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So while negating this sifa of salbiyah that Allah is not unjust to anyone, we also affirm perfect justice for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The third principle or matter related to the sifat of Allah is that the sifat, as-sifat al-thubutiyah, the sifat which are affirmed or confirmed for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, are also further divided into two divisions. Those characteristics which are affirmed for Allah are divided into two further divisions, that is, ذاتيه and فعليه. Yani, the characteristics which we affirm for Allah are two types also. Those which are related to Allah's self, His that, His divine person, and those characteristics which are related to His actions. Yani, characteristics which, which describe Allah, that He has a face, that He has hands, that He has feet, as he described himself within the Qur'an, or as it was described by the Prophet ﷺ in the authentic Sunnah, these are that here, related to Allah's person. There are other characteristics of Allah which relate to his actions, that Allah ascends above the throne, that Allah descends in the last third of the night, that Allah does such and such and so and so, including that Allah speaks or whatever. The characteristics that we affirm for Allah related to his actions are called the sifat fi'liyah those things which he does that here it means those characteristics which Allah was always described by and which Allah will always be described by for eternity such as hearing and seeing and life and will and so on these characteristics which Allah is described by from the very beginning and Allah will always be described by them here is the characteristics the sifat and fi'liyah they are those characteristics which are connected to Allah's will, the Mashiach of Allah. Yani these are actions which, these are characteristics which are related to Allah's Mashiach. When Allah wills to do it, He does it. And if Allah does not will to do it, He doesn't do it. These are actions which Allah does if He wills, or He doesn't do if He does not will. These are the sifat of fi'liyah. And here the Shaykh mentioned amongst the examples of that Al-Istawa, that Allah ascends and Al-Nuzul, that Allah descends and Al-Maji, that Allah comes but Allah will come with the angels on the Qiyamah accompanied by the angels Allah comes, Allah descends, Allah ascends and so on Allah punishes, Allah rewards the actions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He does when He wills these are called Al-Sifat Al-Fi'liyah also, the Shaykh mentioned another type of sifa and uh, those which are firm thubutiyah. There are some characteristics which perhaps might be classified under both of these last two divisions, thatiyah and fi'liyah, that which is related to himself, as well as that which is related to his will, that he does whenever he wills. Yani, if you look at it from one perspective, it will be classified as thatiyah, characteristics of Allah's self, and if you look at it from another perspective, it would be classified under fi'liyah, or those actions which refer, or which are related to Allah's will. And the example that he gives here is al-kalam. Al-kalam, or speech, originally it is considered to be a sifa, zatiyah, that Allah's person was always described with the characteristic of speech. Allah always had the characteristic of speaking. From that perspective, that it is one of the original sifat of Allah that He was always described with and always will be described with, we say that it is zatiyah. While at the same time, Allah sometimes speaks, as He spoke to some of the prophets, He spoke to Musa, Kalimullah, when he willed to speak to him. And he spoke to the Prophet Muhammad when he ascended to the seven heavens in the uh, Mi'raj. And Allah speaks when he wills. From that perspective, that speech is related to Allah's Mashiach, to his will, that he does it when he wants, and he doesn't do it if he doesn't want. In that sense, it may also be considered 
of the sifat al-fi'liya or the actions that are related to Allah's will. The last principle or point or matter that the Shaykh mentions concerning the sifat of Allah is that every characteristic of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may be considered in reference to three questions. The first of those questions is that sifa haqiqiyya? It is, is it a real, a real characteristic of Allah? Or is it figurative? Is it haqiqiyya, real, and why? The second question, is it permissible or allowed to explain the how of any particular characteristic of Allah? Can we say the kaifiyya, how it is, explain how it is, and why? If so or if not. And the third question, is it possible that Allah's characteristic or any one of his characteristics can be similar to or compared to the sifat or the characteristics of any of his creatures and why? These three questions, every one of the sifat of Allah may be considered in reference to each of these questions. Is it real? Can we explain the how of it? Or can it be compared to any of the characteristics of the creatures? The first question the Shaykh answers, is it real? Yes, it is real. The characteristics of Allah are real because originally when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes himself with any characteristic, we understand that he is speaking, addressing the people with words that have meaning and we understand that he means the reality of what he is saying. Not that he is saying one thing, he means something else. Therefore, when Allah describes Himself with something, then the original ruling of such characteristic is that its meaning, its real meaning is intended, and we do not give it a figurative meaning except if we have a proof showing, by some proof, that the intended meaning of that expression or that description is figurative and not literal. If there is a proof for such, then that's a different matter. But without a proof, then we say all of the sifat of Allah are meant in their real sense. The second question, is it permissible to explain the how of any of Allah's characteristics? May we explain how they are? May we uh, or even ask how they are? Is it proper that we should ask how does Allah ascend? How is Allah's descension? What kind of life does Allah have? What about Allah's face or hands? How is His hand? How is His face? Is this something that we are expected to ask about or is it something that we are allowed to explain the how of it or the reality of it, the reality of it? Here the Shaykh says, and this is something that is agreed upon by the scholars of Ahl-Sunnah and the proofs of it are many and the sayings of the scholars are many and if we had time, but I think we will not have time, I would like to maybe at another, on another occasion read some of the sayings of the scholars concerning this particular point as it was narrated uh, in the book of Al-Imam Al-Zahabi which perhaps I mentioned previously Seer Al-A'lam and Mubala the biographies of the noble scholars of Islam and in that book in 25 volumes every volume is four or five hundred pages he gave the biographies of the Muslim scholars up until his time in those biographies he used to mention their aqidah and their madhab and, their, and some of their uh, great works and what the scholars said about them, who were their students, who were their teachers, and so on. From amongst the things that he mentioned in many of the biographies of the scholars is their aqidah. What was their beliefs? Did they have errors in their belief? Did they follow or accept the belief of Ahasun al-Yunah? Were they from the Ma'atazila, the Jahmiya, or what? Ashariya? Who were they from? So, in that book, one of the scholars went through the Seer Al-Alam Al-Nubala and took from it the sayings of each of the scholars in relation to the Tawheed or the Aqidah especially in the aspect of Tawheed al-Asma al-Sifat he gave a long chapter as he collected from that book the sayings of many of the scholars and what they said about this Tawheed of asma al-Sifat and if we read some of those sayings then we'll see that the scholars of Ahl-Sunnah are in agreement that it is not proper for us to explain the how, the reality of Allah's characteristics are known only to Him. Here the Shaykh says, he mentions a proof of this is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
يعلم ما بين ايديهم وما خلفهم ولا يحيطون به علما that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he knows what is before them and what is behind them yani Allah has perfect knowledge of his creatures everything about them he encompasses he encompasses the creatures in his knowledge knowing every aspect of their life and their existence and every detail of it he affirmed that for himself while negating that the creatures have any comprehensive knowledge of him wala yuhaytuna bihi ilma but the creatures are not able to encompass Allah in their knowledge they are not able to know all about Allah and of those things that we are not able to know is the reality of the sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Al-Hafiz ibn Kathir says concerning this ayah that the meaning of it is that Allah has perfect knowledge of his creatures all of them while his creatures do not have any knowledge of him except that which he wills and the creatures their knowledge of Allah is limited to whatever Allah wills and whatever Allah wills for us to know he informed us through the prophets and messengers the revelations that he revealed to them uh, and in our case through the Quran the last revelation and the only one that has been preserved in the sayings of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam which informed us of many of the means of Allah and the characteristics of Allah the creatures can only know about Allah that which he willed and this as Ibn Kathir said is similar to the saying of Allah in another place وَلَا يُحِيطُونَ بِشَيْءٍ مِنْ عِلْمِهِ إِلَّا بِمَا شَاءٍ that the creatures don't have any knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala except that which he wills and also Al-Imam Qabri similarly, similarly explained this ayat by saying that the creatures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do not have comprehensive knowledge of their Lord that they do not have comprehensive knowledge of their Lord and perhaps this is based on the fact that the intellect of the human being being imperfect cannot completely comprehend or grasp the how or the reality of the sifat of the perfect divine being Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as for the third the last question he says is it possible or permissible that the characteristics of Allah may be compared to the characteristics of his creatures and the answer is that the key characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are not similar nor can they be compared to the characteristics of the creatures as he subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran in Surah Shura chapter 41 or 42 I think 41 verse 11 the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٌ لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٌ that there is nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here he has denied he has denied or negated the possibility of anything being similar to him or anything being comparable to him while at the same time in the end of the ayat وَهُوَ السَّمِينَ الْبَصِيرُ he confirms and affirms that while nothing is similar to him nonetheless he does have the characteristics here in this case of uh, hearing and seeing and so from this we understand in this ayah there is negation and affirmation there is negation or there is affirmation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala having characteristics of hearing and seeing and we know that the creatures also have the characteristics of hearing and seeing we affirm for Allah hearing and seeing but without comparing because Allah in the beginning of the ayah says that there is nothing like him so we know that we affirm Allah's characteristics which he has confirmed for himself without comparing them to the characteristics of the creatures here the shaykh makes a side point related to the ayat or the wording or expression in this ayat laysa tamithri shayam some of the scholars use this ayat to refer to comparison between the characteristics of Allah and the characteristics of his creatures by the word tamthil laysa kamithlihi and mithl here they use the word masthala yumithilu tamthil to negate any comparison between the creatures and Allah and some of the scholars use a similar word tashbih fan shabbaha yushabbihu they said there is no tashbih and we say there is no tamthil 
And also there is no tashbih. There is no comparison in this way, nor in that way. And though both of these words have similar meanings, there is a slight difference between them. And the Sheikh says that the difference between tamthil and taqeef, or here taqeef, he said that a tamthil, anyway, a tamthil it means to make an example of something. To make an example or to take something as an example and compare Allah to something in the, cre- in the creation by example, by an example of the creatures. Anything that we know or that we see in the, cre- in the creation, we compare it to Allah by that example. And tashbih, it means to similarly, to make a comparison between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and something else, but not necessarily something that we took as an example from the creation, but it may be from our imagination. And this is called taqeef, to explain the how of any of Allah's characteristics, the how of it, to explain it through our imagination. Not comparing it to something that we see in the creation, but giving a description of Allah or explaining the how of any of Allah's characteristics just from our mind. Giving it any kind of form or shape, this is called taqeef. If we compare it to something that exists in the creation, this is called tamthil. And if we try to describe the how of it from our mind without comparing it to anything in the creation, this is called taqeef. And both of these are prohibited uh, to compare Allah to anything in the creation, whether it exists or whether it's in our mind, both of these are prohibited. The last rule that the Shaykh mentions here, uh, and this is the last rule related to the introduction of Asma wa Sifat, is related to how we respond. Basic rules of refutation of the mu'attila, those who do ta'atil, who negate the meanings of the names of Allah or the characteristics of Allah. He says that al-mu'attila, they are those who reject any of the names of Allah or any of the characteristics of Allah or they distort the meanings of those names or the meanings of the text that came in Quran or Sunnah from its apparent meaning. They change it or divert it from its apparent meaning giving it some other meaning. Those who outright negate it or those who change its meaning in order to indirectly negate it. These people and Mu'attila or the people of, ta- of Ta'atil are also known as Al-Mu'awwila or those who make Ta'wil. Ta'wil means to re-explain or to interpret something but this Ta'wil is the blameworthy Ta'wil. It means to explain something without an evidence or without a proof from the Qur'an or Sunnah of the Prophet The first response to them, he said, uh, and this is a general rule, a general response. It is to remind them that their explanation or their negation is a contradiction. If they re-explain it, it is a contradiction to the clear or apparent meaning of the text of Quran or the clear and apparent meaning of the saying of the Prophet Also, reinterpreting or negating that which Allah has affirmed for Himself in clear language, it is in contradiction to the way of the Salaf. It is in contradiction to the way of the early generations of the Muslims, primarily the Sahaba and those who came after them from the Tabi'un and their students. That it is in contradiction to their way. Because the Sahaba didn't do such a thing, nor did the students of Sahaba. And this is proven, as we mentioned on many occasions, in the statement of Al-Imam Malik, when a man came to him in the masjid and asked him about the saying of Allah, then Allah ascended above, the arsh, and that person asked him, how is Allah's istiwa? How did Allah ascend? Yeah, and they explained to me the how of it. And Imam Malik, they said, it was, it was mentioned that Imam Malik, his head was lowered, and he began to sweat profusely from this question, because of the severity of it, that it is such a question that leads to deviation and innovation, and cause the people to go astray, especially in the matter of Tawheed, it was something that the people before didn't do. The Sahaba didn't ask the Prophet about an istiwa, how is it? Nor did the Tabi'een ask the Sahaba about an istiwa or the actions or the characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how is it? Therefore Imam Malik was concerned 
and he was affected by this question and finally he raised his head and he answered him by saying Al-Istawa Ma'loom that the ascending of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is known it is known in the Arabic language what is the meaning of istiwa? if somebody knows Arabic and they hear the word istiwa they know what is the meaning of it it means to ascend, to rise up, to go above they understand the meaning, the meaning is known well kayf majhul but the how of it the explanation of how is the ascension of Allah of course the ascension of creatures is different than the ascension of Allah so the how of it, the reality of how he ascends is known only to him and therefore Alim Malik said well kayf majhul the how of it is unknown the meaning of istawa is known but exactly how it is in reference to Allah we don't know well iman bihi wajib to believe in it to affirm that Allah sends because he affirmed it for himself is obligatory on us it is mandatory wasu'al anhu bid'ah and to ask about it he said Imam Malik rahimahullah the imam of the people of Medina he said to ask about it is innovation that's because none of the people before them asked about it and we follow those who came before us we do that which they did and we leave off that which they left off and we stopped where they stopped the third answer to them general answer after reminding them that their interpretations are contrary to the apparent meaning of the text and that their manner of understanding the names of Allah and the sifat of Allah are contrary to the methodology or the minhaj of the early generation of the Muslims also we should remind them that they have no authentic evidence for reinterpreting the names or the characteristics of Allah or negating them there is no evidence for them for such and therefore these are three general answers well there are many answers that may uh, that may be used as refutation of those who deny the names of Allah or reinterpret them or reinterpret the characteristics of Allah there are many answers that the scholars gave these are three general answers that are applicable in every case and they are specific answers for specific cases related to some of the names of Allah or some of the sifat of Allah what time is it? 6.40? we are maybe a few minutes remaining, five minutes remaining and this is what we wanted to cover today and this is the end of our discussion of the Asma'u al-Sifat as we go through the book inshallah and discuss some of the ayats of the Qur'an and the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then we will go further with some further discussion of some of the matters related to Asma'u al-Sifat uh, and uh, help hopefully discuss in more detail and clarify these principles and these rules and other rules that are related if there are any comments or any corrections or questions inshallah in the next few moments we can take them if the sisters have any questions, please send them over. If the brothers have any comments, we may uh, take the opportunity now to ask for any clarification or to correct anything that may have been said. Any questions from the brothers? Which word? Ta'atil? Ta'atil, uh-huh. Ta'atil, it means, literally, it means to empty something. They, the scholars of Arabic language said that if someone aqtala al-bi'r, it means that they emptied the well. And here, the, the, the legal meaning that is applicable here, it means that some people who wanted to negate or who didn't want to accept the names of Allah or the characteristics of Allah, doing ta'atil, it means that they affirm the expression without any meaning. They empty it of its meaning. They negate its meaning. As the Mu'attazila did, they affirmed the names of Allah they said, we believe Allah is Al-Alim. They said, we believe that Allah is Al-Alim, affirming the expression, but without any meaning. Bila ilm. Allah is Al-Alim, without the characteristic of ilm. That Allah is Al-Qadir, without the characteristic of Qudra. That Allah is Al-Hakim, without the sifa of Hikmah. Yani they affirm the expression without any meaning. This is ta'atil, emptying of its meaning. 
While others re-explained the meaning, gave it a different interpretation, like the interpretation of istira, they said it means istawla. That Allah ascended above the throne, it doesn't mean istira, that he ascended above the throne, it, he really means to say istawla, that he conquered the universe. And after he created the universe, then he conquered it. This is in the books of the, the Mu'attila and the Mu'awwila, the Mu'attila, and the Ashariya, and those who held such opinions. Mm. Now, the ayah in the Qur'an, my sister is correcting me, Jazakumullah khair, Laysatanithi Rishayun Uhusunil Basiyah, that ayah is in Surah Al-Shura, its number is 4211, 4211. I think I said 41. I wasn't sure if it was 41 or 42. Jazakumullah khair. Any other question, Yaakhi? طيب then just in closing نعم 4211 نعم in closing let me uh, if there are no questions let me just quickly mention uh, some of the scholars also mentioned some important points related to Asma al-Sifat just يعني, as extra points يعني, for the benefit one of those principles is that the original ruling concerning the names of Allah and characteristics of Allah is that we describe Allah with that which He described Himself with, or that which the Prophet sallallahu alaihi described Him with? Uh, we affirm it. Nafyan wa ithbatan, and we affirm whatever He affirmed, and we negate whatever He negated. And this means that we should affirm for Allah whatever He has described Himself with, without making comparison. We affirm it. I mean, some people affirm it, but making comparison, they compare Allah's creatures to the creatures of the human beings. So we affirm it without comparison, without tamthil or tashbih. At the same time, we negate from Allah whatever He negated from Himself. Whatever He negated from Himself, characteristics of imperfection. We negate from Allah the characteristics of imperfection. But that negation or clearing Allah from imperfection should be without ta'atil. Yani without negating what He affirmed. We negate the, what Allah negated or that which is imperfect. But we don't negate what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala affirmed for himself. The second principle that he mentions here is that the Qur'an and the Sunnah, these are the scales to weigh the sayings and the actions of all people, including the scholars. And anything other than that can be considered as truth or falsehood when they are put in the scales of Qur'an and Sunnah. And whatever we studied in Asma wa Sifat or in any matter related to Aqidah or otherwise, the scales to judge it is based on the Qur'an and Sunnah. The third principle that he says is that we should stick to and limit ourselves to al-alfat al-shara'iyya. When we mention matters related to aqidah, we should use the expressions that came in the Qur'an and Sunnah. And not use expressions that's from our mind or from our intellect. And we should discuss the matters of aqidah and particularly the names of Allah and the sifat of Allah, what Allah described himself with in the Qur'an and Sunnah and not come with those descriptions which we might feel are good and praiseworthy descriptions based on our intellect. But we should limit ourselves to that which came in the Qur'an and Sunnah. And the last point that he mentions, uh, that whatever the people differ about concerning the matters of Asma wa Sifat, that we should return these things to Allah and His Messenger, and we should refer them to Allah and His Messenger, to the Qur'an and to the Sunnah, and when they use any expression that has the possibility of more than one meaning, then we don't affirm it or negate it until we ask them what do they mean. And if what they said, that they meant by that unclear expression, if what they meant is what is confirmed in the Qur'an and Sunnah, then we affirm it. And if what they mean is, is contrary to what's confirmed in the Qur'an and Sunnah, then we reject it. There are some expressions as we studied in Aqil al-Tahawiyya, Al-Mawr Tahawiyya, use some expressions to refute the Ahl Kalam, the people of philosophy. Those expressions that he used are expressions that not came from the Qur'an and Sunnah. And therefore, they have the possibility of having more than one meaning. Then we have to ask ourselves, knowing that Al-Imam al-Tahawi is a scholar from Ahl Sunnah al we know, based on that, that he means the correct way. But if anybody came to us with such expressions that are not in the Qur'an and Sunnah and have the possibility of having more than one meaning, then we have to ask them, what do you mean by that? If they say, for example, that Allah doesn't have any direction, that Allah is not in any direction, we have to ask them, what do they mean? Perhaps they mean, 
that Allah is not confined by the six directions that the creation is defined by. That everything in the creation has to be above or below, to the right or to the left, or to the front or back. Everything in creation is confined by these directions. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not confined by them. If they mean by that, that Allah has no direction, meaning He is not confined by the six directions of the creatures, then we affirm it. But if they mean by that, that, that they want to negate that Allah is high above the throne, that Allah is above the creatures, then we reject what they are saying. Because Allah confirmed that He is above the creation. So we have to ask, when they use such expressions, we have to ask what do they mean by it. We affirm that which is in agreement with the Quran and Sunnah and we negate that which is in contradiction to it. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa tubalik. Baraa.